So we're starting uh, for this spring semester. It'll take us about nine or 10 weeks. We're gonna go through, as you can see up on the screen there, Jesus and the Jewish festivals. And each week we're gonna be looking at one of these festivals. There might be a week or two that we'll combine a couple of, because some of them they're like, man, they overlap and they're really close. And so it'll be nine or 10 weeks. We'll kind of see how things go. Um, tonight, what I want to do is kind of do an overview of these festivals and um, look at just some general concepts with them. There are, there are some things that were done kind of across the board that are a little maybe foreign to us, but I think there's some huge takeaways. And then kind of land on what maybe you would say um, couches all the festivals, <clears throat> and that's this concept of Sabbath. <clears throat> so let me do this. And Do, do we have... I don't know if I have my, uh... oh, good, okay. Um, so let's do this. Um, let me ask you a question. This is something I was talking to our, our bandwidth before the service, and I asked this question, and I'd, I'd be curious to know your thoughts too. During this last season, you know, in 2020, especially if, you're, um, if you were maybe working from home or that sort of thing, how many times did this question either come out of your mouth or this thought come to you? where you said, what day is it? <clears throat> you know what I mean by that? <clears throat> to me, I said that so often. The reason why is that my normal rhythms of time were not there in large part. Um, I'm working from home. You know, there's certain days like, okay, this is a study day. This is a planning day. This is the meeting day. This is, you know, like I have a, a rhythm <clears throat> to my week. And when those things are gone, to be honest, the word that I kept using, because I'd, I'd talked to friends about it, like, yeah, it's, I said, I feel so disoriented. You know what I mean by that? Life feels disorienting when I don't have these markers, these rhythms in my life. Well, here's what I want us to think about, and I don't know if you ever thought about this. Israel was in slavery for how long? Do you remember? 400 Years, okay? How many days off a week did they have? <laughs> yeah, when you're a slave, it's zero, right? Think about the level of disorientation when for centuries, generation after generation, it's been ingrained. It's like, have you seen the movie Groundhog's Day? Every day he just repeats. <clears throat> it's the exact same thing, right? There's this sense of disorientation <clears throat> when there isn't this rhythm in their lives. And what's so fascinating to me is that the very first thing that God does when he brings them out of the 400 years of disorientation of no rhythm, he says, I'm instituting seven festivals and feasts that will mark your year. And then he drills down even more specifically in that exact same context. And he says, um, you're also going to observe a weekly one in seven pattern. And I would say it's not an overestimation or an overstatement to say that the heart of Judaism were the festivals. The heart of Judaism were these annual festivals, and you could even call it a weekly festival with the Sabbath. This was times when the Jews, uh, they, they feasted. Sometimes they, they fasted. <clears throat> they, they met with God. They met with each other. They, mostly they had good times. 
It was a time of basically celebration. It's interesting, we see in the Gospels, and we'll see this all throughout the series, we'll kind of dip into some stories in the Gospels. We won't entirely be back in the Old Testament, though tonight we will mostly. We'll see that um, Jesus went to many of these festivals and celebrated and suffered, of course, we know too. So the series, we're going to walk through some of the festivals and the Gospels. We're going to see more about what's happening in those strategic times, because Jesus will oftentimes actually pick a festival when he wants to make a point, or at least the the Gospel authors seem to highlight, oh, it was this festival in which Jesus decided to say this. He's making these touch points with Israel's identity by selecting their time, which is an interesting idea. And once you see it, you realize, oh, I think that was intentional. (laughs) I don't think it was accidental that he's doing that. So let's take a look at this. Let me show you. um, Do I need to make this different size? Let's see here. Hopefully you can see this. You, did you pick up a bulletin on your way in? Kind of a bulletin thing? Um, on the back of it, you'll find this diagram right here. If you don't have one, you can get one of the back or pick one up later. But if you want to look more closely, if that's hard to see, <clears throat> um, this kind of gives you a visual diagram of when we think about these festivals or <clears throat> feasts, we can think about them in the air. The inner circle is, uh, is the solar calendar. That's one we're familiar with. The outer circle is the lunar calendar. As you can see, the line going off to the left, that's, that's today. That's January 13th, just to kind of orient yourself as to where we are in the calendar. So let me just kind of briefly uh, mention each one of these feasts or festivals. The new year, if you look to the bottom of the diagram, at the very bottom, you will see, uh, see that? Yeah, the trumpets. Do you see that there? This is, this is the start of the new year, the Jewish new year, and the Jewish new year is called Rosh Hashanah. So the first festival that kind of opens things up in this new year, this happens in uh, September, is trumpets. And it's, it's marked by the blowing of the shofar, and then that leads into 10 days of penance, that leads to the Day of Atonement, that next little notch on the, on the line there, Yom Kippur, you've heard that. And the third one, put a little asterisk by uh, tabernacles. Isn't that what it's called or is it booths? Yeah, yeah, tabernacles. Some of these have different names. This one's either tabernacles or booths, but put a little asterisk by that one. Um, the next two are not in the Torah, meaning the first five books of the Bible, um, they're, they're sort of, I don't, I don't mean non-biblical in the sense of unbiblical. <laughs> I mean, they don't come out of the Torah. The first one is the Feast of Dedication, or as we oftentimes hear it, Hanukkah. Um, this is in the spring. Now, if you grew up in a, a Roman Catholic or an Eastern church in which uh, your canon, your Bible represents what's called the Alexandrian canon, it'll include the books like First and Second Maccabees. And that's where that story is centered there. And then the one after that is, again, also not in um, the Torah, the first five books, and that's Purim. And this is the celebration that's connected with Esther and the salvation of the uh, Jews that weren't (coughs) slaughtered. The next one, uh, put an asterisk by that one, Passover. 
That one happens in the spring. <clears throat> the next uh, one kind of technically is two, but they, they usually kind of get lumped together. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. And so we may cover that as one week. We may cover that as two. I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll kind of see. And then the, the last one, as you see, there is a Pentecost. And put an asterisk by that one. So you should have an asterisk by Tabernacles, Passover, and Pentecost. <clears throat> now, each one of these festivals, feasts, would typically require sacrifices were made as they came. Not always animal. Um, it, could be, it could be a burnt offering, could be a grain offering. And there were, it's very detailed if you ever read the book of Leviticus as far as what kind of sacrifices. And basically it comes down to who makes it and where it's made. Does the priest do it or do I do it? Is it in a really holy place or is it in just a normal place? So <clears throat> lots of details with all this sort of thing. But <clears throat> let me read for you at least just the first part. You probably can't see that very well, can you? Let me see if I can enlarge that. Uh, go to display. Hmm. You would think I know how to do this, but I do not. Um, well, that might have been bad. 720. Yeah, I don't think that helped any. Let me go back to this one. <clears throat> well, I'll work on that for next week because I'm not exactly sure how to get. Yeah, sorry, guys. Well, pretend you can see it. <clears throat> okay, I'll read. If you have really good eyes. I'm only going to read the first three verses here is all. Um, <clears throat> this is Leviticus chapter 23. And this is kind of what we'll springboard out of, because this gives the whole list of those seven, not the extra two, not permanent dedication, but it gives the first seven there. This is after they're taken out of Egypt, the 400 years, they have no concept of rhythm and time, and this is what Yahweh God does. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, verse one, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are, and you can see in yellow there, the appointed feasts of Yahweh, which is, he's not saying, these aren't your feasts. You're not creating these. He says, these are the feasts of Yahweh. He's instituting them. That you shall proclaim as holy convocations. <clears throat> they are my appointed feasts. And then verse three, before he jumps into the feasts, <clears throat> feasts he, he gives sort of some context. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day, a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. And then I won't read it, but for the next, basically the rest of the chapter, it's like 40 verses coming after this. He walks through these seven and kind of gives some explanation of like, this is what you're going to do on that day. This is what that feast is going to involve, or this is something that you're going to basically the way you're going to observe that feast. And the festivals are, are listed uh, in the Old Testament here in Leviticus. They're listed in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, and one other place I'm blanking out right now. But what's interesting is each time you read them, not, no description completely matches the other. They're all a little different from one another. And you might say, well, why is that? because they represent different contexts, meaning different time periods 
meaning these feasts and festivals, how they observe them, um, it gets adapted based on what's going on, based on where they live. So these, um, for instance, observance or celebration of these festivals, um, it was really based on their circumstances. So just as an example, um, before they came into the land, okay, they're outside, there's not a temple. So they didn't have to go to one location. There were several numerous designated locations. You can go here, you can go there, you can go there. All these locations are okay. Well, later, when they get into the land, it's centralized. There is a temple. That's God's space. That's his dwelling. And so that's where it has to be done. Like, think of Passover. You remember, like, the first Passover, the early one? It was each person in their own house. That's where you're doing it. Well, fast forward, and we know, oh, no, to do Passover, you've got to do the sacrifice at the temple, right? So how they're observing these feasts, it, it just changes. That's just a part of, of, of uh, where they're at. When they go into exile and the temple is destroyed, well, they can't do it at all. So they have to ad- adapt. And that's how Jews today, after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there's no location to do that. So the way they observe, say, Passover, it has to be adapted to the circumstances. Does that make sense? So that's why you're going to see some differences if you ever look at any of those. Um, And so there becomes kind of a change. Um, Levitical law, Levitical focus stuff we're reading about here in Leviticus. When there's no temple, because Levitical stuff kind of centers around the temple. When the temple's gone, the shift moves from temple to Torah. And you, you do that not in a temple, but in a synagogue. And so you ask questions like, well, what is the, what is the Torah telling us to do? What is the Torah <clears throat> teaching? How can we observe it? And so they have to adapt in ways that they celebrate, again, Passover or booths or any of those sorts of things. <clears throat> Let me say a word. Um, and again, this is, a lot of this is preparatory tonight. It's sort of setting the stage for a deeper dive into each one of these. Let me, <clears throat> let me make a comment about, as we think about Jewish festivals, even as the Sabbath, let me tell you about some ways that we can go wrong. Ways that I've seen other Christians kind of go wrong, get a little sideways with some of this that we're going to talk about here. So in some, in some places in the Old Testament, many, we see God saying, these, these festivals are essential. Like they're super important. I want you to observe them. It's, it's absolutely essential. And then other times we say, God saying, I say things like, you know what? Don't bother. Just stop. And you're kind of like, well, what's that about? I thought you said it was super important. Well, the calendar was given as a gift to Israel. Okay. It's not a bondage thing. It's not a have to, it's a get to kind of thing. And it functioned in the community to tie Israel back to its history, to tie them back to what God had done for them, their identity, who they are, and it functioned to cause them to look forward to what God might continue to do in their story. And it functioned to keep them separate. I don't know about you, but like, if you've ever been in another country, I lived in um, South Korea after I graduated uh, from college, my undergrad, for a year. And their, their holiday observance was like 95% different than America. 
And it was so disorienting because I'm like, what is this about? And what's, but it, it tied them to some national identity. It tied them to this is who we are. I mean, that, you know, for us, that's one of the things that I, that I think is you know, kind of sad is some of the sports are getting politicized. Sports are one of those things that's like, it ties us regardless of what person you voted for. It's like, oh yeah, some of our, some of our kind of common identity is we love to root for that team, right? Or we love, you know, we love 4th of July or we love Halloween I and mean, whatever it might be. These are things that kind of give us identity as a people. And that's how these functioned for them in terms of national identity. But we, we read oftentimes God saying, just stop. Just stop doing it. If you want to kind of look some of those up later, Isaiah 1, Amos 5, Jeremiah 6, Micah 6, Hosea 6. It's all of these prophetic moments where through some individual, they say to Israel, you know what? God just wants you to stop. He wants you to stop doing all these festivals and what you're offering and all these different things. Why is that? Because you're just going through the motions. That's all. But God wants your heart. But your heart is just, it's cold. It's disinterested. Your behavior, it's rotten. For instance, let me, let me read for you. And if you can see, you can track along a little bit here. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. And you'll see some of the, if you read the uh, Leviticus 23 passage, when he talks about all the things I want you to do, in this passage, it's saying like, I don't want you to do this, this, and that, and all these things. And he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to me before me, as when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, these are you know, different celebrations, and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing, of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. That's a picture of prayer. You're going to spread out your hands to pray to me. I'm not even going to listen to you. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So they had taken something sacred, these, these, these seven experiences, and then this weekly experience. They'd taken this sacred gift, feasts of Yahweh, and made it common. Worse than that, make it abominable. So the problem was not prayer. Prayer's not bad. Sabbath isn't bad. Festivals. The problem was people thinking, as long as I keep up these routines, God will be happy with me. Or maybe even worse yet, as long as I keep up these routines, God will be in my debt. He'll kind of owe me. <laughs> owe me certain things in life. Um, it would be like God telling us, you know what? You know, stop taking offerings. I don't want them. Stop doing Sunday morning church. Stop singing your hymns. I don't even want to hear it. If there's hypocrisy there, if the heart isn't rightly oriented. So God is not looking, and here's one of the big points. Yahweh God from Israel, from us, God is not looking for us to perform rituals. He is not interested <laughs> for the sake of a ritual. He wants hearts. 
And he says, I want you to engage with me. Here's a, here's a venue, an avenue to engage with me. But if you think the avenue is the end, you're missing it. I don't care about that. I want your heart. It's interesting in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul encourages the church to keep up observing the Passover as it was transformed by Jesus into what we think of as the Lord's Supper. That's what we take every week here, or the Lord's table. But then at the same time, Paul warns against people judging other people and their spirituality based on, you keeping the Sabbath? You keeping the feasts? How you doing with that? <clears throat> listen, to, um, listen to how Paul says it here. This is... Um, Colossians 2, uh, 16. <clears throat> Colossians 2, 16, Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And then he describes what those things are. <clears throat> These are a shadow of the things to come. They're a road marker pointing beyond themselves. The substance, what they're pointing to, is the person of Jesus. It's the Messiah. So Paul says, no, these are shadows. You've lost sight of what they're pointing to. They're really pointing to, the, to, to King Jesus, you might say. So Paul does not forbid people from observing any of these feasts, but their emphasis becomes wrong. He says, at least in this group right here. They've gotten detached from the head. And I would just say from, you know, 17 years of being here at Timberline Church, I can give you, I could tell you countless stories of people who have gotten into observing festivals and feasts. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it, okay? But many times what I've seen is that they, they become so excited about it so, so sort of attached to it that they start um, thinking that observing these days or these new moon festivals or, or Sabbaths, that um, they lose sight of Jesus and it becomes this almost work thing. It becomes almost this, you need to do that. Taking their conviction and placing it on someone else. You know what I mean by that? And it so often turns that, but again, there's nothing wrong with observing them as long as we keep them rightly structured, rightly ordered, and think about their function and their purpose. So it's not wrong to choose to observe certain days as you would say holy, meaning I'm setting it apart. It's distinct for me in some way. It might even function to connect you back to the bigger story. That's an awesome thing. But it's wrong if you start to judge spirituality by doing it. I'm right with God. <laughs> Why? Because I do these sorts of things. Or if it's practiced in a sense of bondage or obligation, and that's true of anything. That's true of any spiritual practices. Coming to church. If you feel really guilty because you missed a Sunday, that may not be appropriate. Now, if it's not valuable to you and you just think, oh, I'll get it when I get to it, well, maybe you should feel kind of bad about that. It's your heart orientation. What's going on? in your heart. <clears throat> um, another point, there are, do you remember the three asterisks that you, the three festivals that you put an asterisk by? <clears throat> Those festivals are what are called, they're called in the text, Hag festivals, which means pilgrimage. 
These are the festivals that they were, at least the men, told to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. For those of you guys, a couple of you in here, who went on the Israel study tour with us, you'll, if you may remember, um, Yonatan, our Israeli guide, he called these festivals foot festivals. Do you remember that? Foot festival, meaning you're walking there. <laughs> it's a festival by which you're, it's actually leg festival, but that sounds weird to English, so foot's probably a better way to put it. But these are foot festivals. These three festivals are ones which require people to actually go. Um, in fact, all males, three times a year, were told to go to Jerusalem. And uh, I think I've got, got it up here. Oh, I don't. I'll just read it. Deuteronomy 16 says this, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. <clears throat> at the festival of unleavened bread, which that's really close to Passover, but basically think of Passover. The festival of weeks, you've got that one <clears throat> marked there, that's Pentecost. And the festival of tabernacles. So it's Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. Those are those three foot festivals, the three hag or the pilgrimage festivals. Um, now, you could imagine this became very difficult if you lived far away. And as, Israel, as Israel's history moves forward, um, people start moving out. Sometimes they're forced out when the Assyrians come in and take them to another place. And then in the future, they don't come back and there's living all over the Mediterranean world. It becomes very difficult. God, God picks these times because they coincide with um, what you might call slack times. <laughs> uh, when all the lambs, baby lambs have been born, when the fruit has been <clears throat> picked, when the grain has been picked. But if you own a farm, there's always work to do. Some of you know that well. <laughs> it's not easy three weeks to just pick up <clears throat> and go. And so in practice, it becomes very difficult for them to do. So most Jews did it one time a year. Most Jews would just do it one time a year. And this is something kind of cool, I think. There's something called the second tithe. Now, you probably know about the tithe, right? Oh, yeah, I got to take 10% of my money as, as an Israelite, and I have to bring it to the temple, right? And that's, you know, that's where I present it. <clears throat> the Jews also had, the Hebrews had what was called a second tithe. And listen to how this functions. This it's, it's actually kind of cool. <clears throat> Israelites had to go to Jerusalem once a year, at least once a year, because they had to spend and consume their second tithe, which is really, really interesting. So the second tithe, again, it's separate from the first tithe that just goes to the temple. The second tithe was for your family to consume, eat and drink while you're at the festival in Jerusalem. You can almost think of it as like a, a vacation tax. <clears throat> but it's on you. So you're told to go to Jerusalem once a year, but you need to save up 10% of your money and you need to set this aside and everything you earn, you need to use to enjoy yourself there. Isn't that an interesting thought? <laughs> <clears throat> While you're in vacation in Jerusalem, listen to Deuteronomy 14. This is fascinating, I think. Deuteronomy 14 reads this, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields, produce each year, eat the tithe at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, Jerusalem. But if that place is too distant, you live like super far away, you know, it's not like the town over sort of thing, then exchange your tithe for silver, 
And then use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat it there in the presence of Yahweh, your God, and rejoice. So what he says is, if you're living too far away, it doesn't mean that you don't have to go. It means you don't have to carry literally a tenth of everything that you grew. That would just be impossible to do. Sell it where you are, get the silver, and then in turn, when you get to Jerusalem, you take the money and you go spend it on food in Jerusalem. Now, they couldn't buy clothing. I know some of you who are like shopping, people are like, this is awesome. I got a huge, they can't buy clothing. They can't buy pottery. They could buy food that was in pottery. As long as they ate it, then they could take, you know, the pottery home, that sort of thing. But it had to be food and drink. It had to be enjoying themselves there. You had to already eat and drink. So the second tithe was essentially to make sure you had a good time. I think that's a beautiful idea. Yeah, the IRS. Now it's a totally different idea. But we have a God who wants you to enjoy the things he's given us, like food. What's your favorite restaurant to eat at? (laughs) They're all closed. A lot of them are. Yeah, good call. But do you ever think that God wants you to enjoy a nice meal? It's actually something God cares about. God cares about you enjoying food. Interesting God we have. Now there's also a third tithe, but you don't want to get into the weeds with that. And there's many details with it. So we'll kind of jump over that. But the last point that I want us to kind of land on is the whole concept of Sabbath. One thing that's fascinating, many of the things that we find in ancient Israel are not unique to them, uh, meaning other, other nations in the ancient Mesopotamian world had, had very s- similar practices, you know, did similar things. There are a lot of things that aren't completely unique to Israel because that's the world they live in. That's the world that Abraham was picked out of. They do life pretty similarly. <clears throat> One thing that we scholars would say is, seems to be utterly unique, we found nothing like it, is the one in seven pattern. Because it's not based on lunar things. It's nothing to do with that. <laughs> the Sabbath, the one in seven thing, it's utterly unique to Israel. And what's interesting is <clears throat> the whole concept of resting, it's tied to the concept <clears throat> of God resting in his temple. Now, um, here's what it doesn't mean. Um, It doesn't mean resting in the sense of kicking up your feet. I've always kind of, when I was younger, sort of bit like, I thought that's like, like, you know, at the end of like the seventh day, God rested. Like, well, he's like all powerful. I just need to rest. Like, that's what you do when you're tired, right? That's not the idea here. Rest, a God resting in his temple means all his enemies are subdued. And when he sits down, it means all the chaos is done. Everything's in right order. He's in the operating room, the controlling room, the control station, and everything is under his control. He's resting in the sense of not fighting any more enemies. Are you with me? So when it says God rested, do not think of kicking back and putting his feet up and tired. It's I have vanquished evil and chaos, and I'm, I'm ruling right now moment by moment. He's in charge. 
It's, it's someone who's put in office, so to speak. That's the concept. And so when we, when we read this, we have to realize that's where this is going. Um, so here's a question. What is it that we're not supposed to do on the Sabbath? And you might kind of go, well, is it work? Right? I mean, that's pretty clear. That's in there. Well, <clears throat> why is it that there's so much debate, like in Jesus and his, the people he's engaging with, about what you should do on the Sabbath? Right? Is Jesus ever accused of not observing Sabbath? Yeah. <clears throat> there's a really interesting, like, focus in with me, because this is like nerd stuff for three minutes, okay? It's like language stuff, but it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting. <clears throat> so look at, let me go back to uh, 23. Okay, so this section right, verse three, do you see that right there? That's blue. Um, it says, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rests. rest. Okay, scholars will say this. This is just like a little bit of Hebrew. Stick in with me because I think you'll see something kind of cool here and something that's really interesting and something that I think Jesus knew about. And that's why he had a slightly different take than many of his contemporaries. So the, the Hebrew word for work in this passage in Leviticus, no work shall you do, it's melakah. Okay, melakah. Don't, don't do any melakah. Well, it derives from the same root as malak, which means angel. Now you might kind of first hear, they go, wait, what? What in the world does angel, malak, have to do with melaka <clears throat> to do work? Both have the exact same root, which means to like dispatch, to assign a job. You with me? To, to, to send out with a task to do. And that makes sense, because that's what a messenger does. And that's what angel means. So a messenger and angel, could be a person or a spiritual being, their job is they're given a task and they're sent out to accomplish it. So what's the connection here? Well, scholars, as, as, and you know, a lot of scholars have pointed this out, as they look at this word here specifically, and its root being similar to, or the same as angel, it points out that work here, melaka, in this passage refers to assigned tasks, things that you were sent out to do by your taskmaster. Now again, when they when they're given this, who are their ta who have their taskmasters been for four hundred years? Yeah, the Egyptians, the person who's superior to you, your boss, whatever. They give you here's what I want you to do today, and you have to fulfill it, like it or not. You've got to get it done. These it, these are assigned by someone else for you to do. And if you go back to Malak, that's the messenger or the angel. That's what a messenger does, right? They're a subordinate position who carries out a task. Now you might say, okay, so what? <laughs> well, the main object of the Sabbath law here in Leviticus is to do this, avoid certain daily tasks that are normally assigned for you to do when it comes to the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath law does not preclude doing tasks that you might say um, arise from the occasion at that moment. And see, Jesus understood this. What are some things that Jesus was accused of doing on Sabbath? Remember? Healing. That's a work. That's an activity. He and his disciples one time walking through a field, and you remember, remember what his disciples did, it said? <clears throat> yeah, they pulled grain, and you know, they're basically just a snack. They're itinerant missionaries. And so 
They're hungry. That's something that arises from the situation. And they're criticized by the Pharisees saying, you're doing work exerting yourself on the Sabbath. In fact, listen to, I'll read the passage to you. This is one in particular. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully as they always did. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, he asked this question, is it lawful? Is it Torah to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now that seems like an obvious question, but listen to their response. They remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, meaning that's something that arose from the situation, right? Will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. See, <clears throat> helping your neighbor, helping a friend of yours um, with something that's it's not a normally assigned task, that is not breaking the Sabbath. In fact, it's, full, it's, it's doing, it's being loving. It's what Jesus would do. It was something that arose from the situation. And the good thing to do for your neighbor is to help him out, even if it requires you physical exertion. So Sabbath law, it's not about avoiding all physical exertion. If you go over to, you know, and you see this, I remember, you know, when we go to Israel, those of, us, those of you who have been with us, on the Sabbath, you get in uh, an elevator, and you remember what happens? <clears throat> so you don't have to press a button, it just stops at every floor, right? Because that way you're not going like this, if you're going over to someone's house to give them a meal. Do you see the point that's being missed? It's not about exertion. Right? It's about abstaining from the normal things that someone requires you to do on a regular basis, right? Because there's rhythm. God says you need it. You need to stop from that for many reasons. <clears throat> now, later, the Pharisaical law and what they call fence laws, which is like God tells us to do 10, I'll do 11, <laughs> and so must you. That's a fence law. It goes even further than what the law says that were added to Torah laws, that becomes that kind of legalistic thing. Don't press the button when you're going to help someone. Don't help someone. <clears throat> That's missing the whole point of Sabbath. So the word melaka means things you're assigned to do with regularity according to whomever is in authority over you. Those are the things we are to avoid, but it's never to become legalistic. Do you remember Jesus' words when, he's, when he receives pushback on this? And he says, um, <clears throat> man was not made for the Sabbath. But what does he say? Yeah, the Sabbath was made for man. It's not to be something on you that feels weighty and obligatory. It's this gift that frees you <clears throat> from this weird self-control thing. It, it frees you from this. You know, as I think about Sabbath... And I don't do it really well. To be totally honest with you, I struggle. I struggle with it. But I find when I do Sabbath, and <clears throat> I usually work Sundays, so Sunday's not a very good Sabbath day for me. <clears throat> I find when I Sabbath, the world, here's, here's one thing I, I'm taught. Grant, the world doesn't revolve around you. If you stop doing things, th the world's not going to stop. 
God is capable, because I start to kind of almost assume that or believe that idea that, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making the world spin. I got to keep it going. I'm making my little world spin. Not the, you know, I'm making this happen, but I'm trusting God to take care of things when, I'm, when I let go, <clears throat> when I release control. Another thing that I realize <clears throat> is that everything that is hard in life will come to an end. One day God will be fully sitting on the throne in the sense of his kingdom come, his will be done. I look forward to him coming back. In Sabbath, I'm celebrating new creation. I'm saying one day, every, all, all the chaos, the chaos monsters, they're gone. They're submitted. I'm looking forward to, again, day seven of creation fully lived out again, not about putting my feet up, but that picture of God who has subdued all the enemies of chaos and is reigning unchallenged. So here's my, here's my I'll call it a challenge <clears throat> to you because I've already made this challenge to me as I've been, th- and I don't know where you guys are at in terms of like, uh, you know, do you do New Year's resolutions or whatever, that sort of thing. <clears throat> I'm not talking about New Year's resolution, but I'm saying, will you resolve and I guess I challenge you will you resolve <clears throat> to say, or to answer this question, what will rhythm and Sabbath look like for me in this year? Because there is something, I mean, there is something about patterns. There's something about starting a new year. It was true for Israel. There's something about saying new, what will I resolve to do? What will this look like in my life? Maybe it's on your Sabbath. I know someone who their favorite thing on Sabbath is a nap. <laughs> They say, it's a nap day. I tell my kids, you can do whatever you want. Don't wake me up. Uh, You know, even got them to nap. But they say that for me, it's life-giving. What is, think about the word recreational. And then put a little dash in there. Recreational. What is recreational or recreational in your life? Do you enjoy gardening? That'd be a really good thing to do on the Sabbath. Do you enjoy that meal at the restaurant that's not open? Um, that might be a really cool thing to do on the Sabbath. <clears throat> so the question to ask is, what are you going to do? I mean, here's one for me. Um, how about reading the Bible? Do I read the Bible on the Sabbath? Depends. If I think, oh, I got to prepare for next Wednesday's message. I got to prepare. No, I will not read the Bible on the Sabbath because it's a task. You know what I mean by that? It's a, it's, it's a checklist thing. It's something I have to get done. I will not. If it's, man, I haven't, I haven't really been in the Word lately, and that's, that's something I, I think it'd be good for me. I would enjoy that. But it's not checking off a list. Yeah, then I will. So sometimes I'll do the very same thing. Sometimes it might look like work, and it's not. Sometimes it's not, but it might look like work. You know what I mean by that? It's the orientation of my heart. And that's, of course, what God knows. So will you resolve in this new start, this a new rhythm, for us it's not... Rosh Hashanah and the, that new year, we've got a different new year. We're on a different calendar. That's okay. <laughs> what, you, what kind of rhythm will you resolve to step into that will be festival? It'll be feast. It'll, it'll get rid of the disorientation <clears throat> in this new year. Um, I was talking to Pastor Bob uh, earlier in the week, and he kind of made an interesting observation. We were just talking about this whole concept of rhythm and, and, and Sabbath. And, and he said, you know, when we're working from home, as he was kind of reflecting over the past X number of months, he said, I feel like I'm almost always on. 
You know, it's, there's no day off. It's just, I'm sort of always on and it's random, that sort of thing. Um, he said, and, and I need rhythm because that when I'm constantly plugged in or when I'm going hundred miles an hour, it's so easy to miss God. I just don't see him. I don't see what he's doing in the moment. I don't see what he's doing in my family. I don't see what he's calling me to do. I just miss God. And I thought without rhythm, rhythm, that's how I live, disoriented. What day is it? <laughs> I don't want to ask that question again because I want to be in the rhythm. During this next song, <clears throat> I want us to do something that is rhythm-esque. I have no idea if that's a word. <clears throat> We're going to take the bread and the cup as we do every Wednesday. That's our rhythm. And it's that reminder of who God is, what he has done, and what he's doing. And I look back to what he's done. I look forward to him coming again. And I'm not disoriented. I'm in time. And I know where I am. I think that's what God calls us to. So during this next song, I invite you to go to one of the tables, take the elements. Don't take them on your own. Just take them back to the seat. Worship, engage, sing. And then when the song's over, uh, I'll come back up. We'll take it together. Would you please stand if you're able to, as you have the, <clears throat> the elements in your hand. In the language of where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. <clears throat> Synonym for freedom is rest. That's, that's the Sabbath. <clears throat> that's the promise that we have rest. As we find ourselves in Christ, we can rest from all of our own toil of trying to be good enough, <laughs> of trying to earn anything, but we're loved and accepted by God. And this is that rhythm picture that as we take the elements every week, we proclaim the freedom and the rest that we have through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we take the bread this evening, a picture of his body that was broken for us to give us rest and freedom. Let's take the bread. And likewise, the cup his blood in a new covenant of acceptance with God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for <clears throat> what you have done, what you're continuing to do in our lives and in our communities. Thank you for loving us and accepting us, for offering us rest in the ultimate sense of what that means. And we long for it. We long for it to be fully instantiated here and in our own lives and in our world. You are good and we proclaim your goodness and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me say for you as you're dismissed, a prayer and benediction as you go. You are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon you rest the grace of God like flames of fire. Love and serve the Lord in the strength of the Spirit. May the peace of Christ be with you this week. The strong arms of God sustain you, and may the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you in every way. Amen and amen. You guys love you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week.